Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Today's topic is Church Under Renovation. I'm excited today about our guest. Our guest is um, a, a phenomenal pastor here in Tennessee. He's in Franklin, Tennessee. He pastors a church called uh, Strong Tower Bible Church. And uh, Pastor Chris Williamson is joining us today to talk on our topic, Church Under Renovation. Good morning, Pastor Chris. Good morning, Dr. Mark. Good to be here with you. Great. Good morning, my I'm sister. So... Nice to meet you. Yeah. Good to be here. Nice to see you, too. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. It's, uh, as you know, uh, Pastor Chris, I don't know if many of you who, who are on Facebook may be familiar with Pastor Chris. He's a, a pretty, he's a pretty prolific, I think, speaker and thinker um, in this time. And he has, a, I think, a keen perception on uh, a lot of the, the, the race issues that are going on in our, in our communities, in our country. Um, and Pastor Chris, I believe now you all are still, are you all having church in person now? How did you all deal initially with the pandemic? Oh, we have not been meeting corporately uh, since it occurred. We uh, stopped meeting as a church. And uh, so we did everything uh, by film. We were pre-recording everything for a while, but that was very laborious after many months doing that. So I am back in the building on Sundays, been there now for about three weeks, uh, preaching on Sundays in the building live. And, uh, and every now and then we'll bring in a distance worship team to do live music, but even the music is still being pre-recorded. But, uh, but I'm there now and I'll be there in the morning, Lord willing. Well, one of the things I want, I know, I want to ask you about that because what we hear, particularly in the courts a lot is as if, being able to only do it virtually hinders someone's spiritual growth and it, it is not allowing them to worship. And we've seen that these arguments made that it's infringing on people's religious freedoms because they can't then, I guess, somehow still connect with their God or still exercise their faith. Have you seen that? Do you feel like that has hindered your ability to still reach your parishioners and still be able to preach your ministry and allow them to, to have fellowship and faith? Not at all. Uh, for us, our church is continuing to grow during the pandemic, and not just even talking about numbers, but of course, talking about spiritual depth. Um, you know, the, the church, as we know, is not the building, but there are many people who think that it is. Uh, the church is not only gathered, but it's scattered. And so, uh, you know, Paul spent a lot of time in jail and God didn't stop talking to him while he was in jail, didn't stop talking and speaking through him while he was in jail. And so there are many saints right now in isolated places, persecuted believers all over the world who can't gather in formal ways to worship. But I would imagine their fire is probably burning a lot brighter and stronger than many of us who, who meet Sunday after Sunday. This may have been really a blessing in disguise as we have prayed for revival, Lord send revival. Well, sometimes he sends revival in ways that you know are, are unconditional or, or rather uh, uh, non-traditional. And so this is different and, and it causes you to press in and to look to God and look for God in a new and different and fresh way. You know, I would prefer to be in the building with the people. It's a different energy when you're preaching in terms of when they're there. But I have a Bible study with them on Facebook Live on Wednesday. So I'm able to have some interaction with them. I'll say, hey, can I get an amen on that last point? Anybody out there hearing me? You know, so we're able to connect and we thank God for what we're able to get. I'm reminded of, uh, and you can feel free to use this in your sermon tomorrow morning too. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm reminded of the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And when she first perceived that he was a prophet, her first question to him was, you know, our fathers say we should worship in the mountain and the Jews say we should go to Jerusalem. And she wanted to know, Basically, I think the question she was asking is, is my worship acceptable? Is the way that I'm doing it acceptable to you? And, and Jesus's response, aside from telling her that you don't even know who you worship, his next response was, says, he said, there's going to come a time when you will neither worship in the mountains or in Jerusalem. 
but the mm -hmm. Father seeks those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I think we can expand that to say there will come a time when you can't worship God in your sanctuary. Mm -hmm. There will come a time when you can't worship God by singing a song in public or gathering in public. There will come a time when you cannot worship God by raising your hands, but God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And this right now, I think this, uh, this pandemic is a is a training ground for teaching us how to worship God when we don't have all the accoutrements that we have grown accustomed to to help facilitate that type of worship. It's challenging us, I think, to yeah. dig in a little bit deeper to really get to the true heart of what worship is. Absolutely. Yeah. Good thing I do have a sermon text tomorrow, because if not, I would take that. <laughs> and that's a good word right there. That's a good word. Yeah. Because if you dig deeper in that, she was thinking that um, the, the temple in Samaria was mm -hmm. the spot. And Jesus was saying, like, no, that's not the spot. And neither is the temple in Jerusalem, the temple of mm -hmm. all temples. Um, and he would often say to his disciples, y'all need to stop looking at this building with such adulation because not one stone is going to be left on top of it. And so they couldn't even picture what it meant to be the people of God without that building. But that was a part of God's plan to wipe that building out in 70 AD. Uh, again, so, but, so that people could draw near to God truly with their hearts. And mm -hmm. because sometimes these things can be uh, distractions from true worship because we get into the formality and the religiosity of, of practice religion. And sometimes, man, it's God wants to meet you in the desert in a fresh way, in a real way. Yeah. I watch pastors, even for that matter, struggle with preaching to an empty crowd because we start to then realize, even as the pastors, how dependent you become on a carnal influence and a carnal inspiration. You meddling now, bro. You meddling uh -oh. now. Yeah, man. They're awesome brothers. Again, the, the feedback is great because of the energy and how the spirit many times ministers in a corporate setting. Um, but there are some guys who they're only trained through call and response. And their, their teaching gift is not that strong. It hadn't had to been used because they focus so much on the oratorical aspect of preaching and the call and response. And yeah, some of them brothers are hurting. <laughs> but you got to reinvent yourself. So now Pastor Chris, he said church under renovation. So my first question is, what are the problems with the church and how are you renovating those problems? Wow, great question. I, I would say that the church has always been under renovation, number one. Um, but let's make it very, very clear, no bones about this. There's nothing wrong with the foundation of the church. Uh, the foundation, of course, is Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone on which the church, the house, is being built, according to 1 Peter chapter 2. So we're all in process. And from the beginning, when he uh, started the church on the day of Pentecost, and you had... Uh, Ananias and Sapphira lying about their offering and you had them uh, not serving um, certain people, the, the daily distribution uh, to the widows because of their ethnicity. They always had to correct, make corrections along the way, even filling Judas's seat with another apostle. So there's always had to be renovation along the way with the, the, the local churches, but there's nothing wrong with uh, the foundation. So uh, every church ha has to assess where they are and make adjustments from time to time. So, you know, one of the things I hear a lot from young adults in particular, or more the newer generation is, um, the church doesn't, I guess, grow with the times or their message isn't growing with the times. And you hear it particularly more so when you're talking about a lot of the social issues that are going on. And now with this political environment, it seems to be a church against the state. Like you're either with the church or you're with the government. And I know here, particularly with the runoffs coming, I'm seeing constantly bombarded messages of uh, Raphael Warnock saying, oh, well, you can't worship the military and worship God and, and the like. And so, you know, one of the problems then I, I kind of see based on what people are telling me is that they feel like the church is not in touch with some of the current issues. What would you say to that, particularly to the young adults who feel as if, you know, hey, I want to be able to be who I want to be and the church just support whatever it is that I want to be. I would say that that's not a new indictment on the church. When we think about recent church history, 
um, the civil rights movement church was also called um, out of touch. It was also called irrelevant by other fringe social justice work groups like the Nation of Islam, for instance, and Malcolm X putting down the work of the church, um, the message and the work of Dr. King, putting them down saying that they were archaic, that they were too, um, that, 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 they, that they sought too much to assimilate into culture as opposed to changing culture. Um, but we, again, thank God for the black church through the civil rights movement, because we wouldn't be here today without the advancements that they helped bring about. So it, it's not new for the church to be accused of being behind the times or not in step with what's going on now. And I would just say that God always has a remnant of people who have their, um, their, their, their finger on the pulse of what's happening. You know, with Elijah, God says, I have 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And, and Elijah may not have known who those prophets were, but God did. And a lot of the, the, the people who are making a difference, they're not on the news. They, they probably don't have big Twitter followings, but they're in the neighborhoods. They're, they're talking with seekers. They're talking with um, Hebrew Israelites. They're talking with, you know, gangbangers. They're talking with people who feel like, you know, the church is irrelevant. So they're out there doing it. We just may not know who they are. And again, God is faithful to always have a group of people as you talk about renovating the church. So even in that, should the church work with government or should the church be separate from government? Because, you know, again, we, we hear a lot about, um, particularly in the Republican Party, the conservatives or the religious evangelicals. Um, but we also see sometimes the Republican Party may be at odds on social issues, particularly as it relates to minorities. So should the church be that, I guess, intersect in government or should they let government be government and church be separate? Oh, no, we have to be involved. Um, but I think the, the question is, are we looking primarily to government to, to see change occur in society? Uh, there's a place for government. You know, when you read the Bible, the Bible is full of politics. It's full of prophets working with kings. Uh, it, it, it's full of that. And so we have to know the place of not riding the backs of donkeys or elephants, but standing in a blessed balance where you can speak truth to power to both sides. But unfortunately, the church aligns either too much with this group or too much with that group, and they lose their saltiness. So we have to have wisdom, you know, as Jesus said, to be wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. Um, because if you're doing it right, you're going to have people not liking you and even despising you from both sides. And as I like to say many times, I'm too liberal for conservatives and I'm too conservative for liberals um, because the truth, the word of God is a two edged sword and it cuts everybody. The one who's communicating it, the one who's listening, those on the right, those on the left. Um, and, and, and again, we're, we're polishing brass on a sinking ship, um, ultimately, um, because our faith says that our hope is built on the one who, where the government is going to be on his shoulders. And that's when he returns. But until that time, um, I want to hold government accountable, um, not only for me, but for my children and for my children's children to do the right thing. I think it's over in First um, Timothy, where Paul talks about we ought to pray for kings and for leaders so that we, we can lead quiet and peaceable lives. So, so I want gov government to succeed, whether I voted them in office or not. I want them to succeed because if they do well, not, not so much with policies that are uh, anti-Christian or that are against a certain segment of people, marginalized people groups, but I want them to do well because if they succeed, I succeed. We see, uh, particularly over the past four, maybe six, eight, 12 years, that um, one particular party has seemed to have hijacked the spiritual or to moral, the moral uh, representation or the high ground. And now this past election, I've seen it more than I've ever seen, where people say, you can't be a Christian and vote for Joe Biden, or you can't be a Christian and vote for a democratic cause. You have to be uh, conservative, basically. If you're not a conservative, you're not a Christian. 
can you speak to that? I mean, how, how should how should a new Christian, for example, someone who is just now coming into acceptance of Christ, how are they supposed to 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 manage that type of belief and that type of philosophy? Well, I would tell them, be careful of being under any kind of spiritual leadership that tells you how to vote or tells you that this is God's way uh, to be voting. I would tell them, be careful, because next thing you know, they might be telling you drinks and Kool-Aid out in the back parking lot. Um, you know, part of being an, an American is the ability to vote and to choose how you see fit. And we all um, recognize that there are issues that can be found in the word of God, that have answers from the word of God, that both parties in our two party system um, do some bit of a relatively good job, at least addressing. In other words, neither party fully represents the full interests of the kingdom of God. And so since both parties have certain things about them that represent the kingdom of God, I don't think any Christian has the place to tell another Christian that they should not vote for that particular party. When you don't know what their burden, what their values are that would lead them to vote a particular way. Uh, probably the easiest passage that deals with this is in Romans chapter 14, when Paul is talking about disputable matters in the local church. And the church of Rome was a church that was uh, multiracial in terms of Jew and uh, Gentile. And so as a result, they had different approaches to dietary restrictions and freedoms um, expressing themselves. And so Paul didn't strap a law on them, but he did tell them that those of you who are free to eat whatever you want, don't look down on people who only eat vegetables. And those of you who only eat vegetables, don't judge people who can eat whatever they want. So when you take that, um, that idea into politics, we need to be careful not to judge people, look down on them because they don't vote the way we vote because Paul ends up that whole situation in Romans 14 by saying, each of us will stand before God and give an account to him. So I answer to God, not to a person in terms of how I feel led to vote. So I would encourage people that you are free to vote however you want to vote. And uh, and, I, and we could talk about abortion and all that, which is pretty much you know what, what, what this uh, party of family values tries to instill and make uh, the linchpin issue we, we we could talk about that but but in my opinion they're they're pimping babies to get votes but but hey man i don't want i don't want to go too <laughs> you far no, 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 no. Voter. <laughs> <laughs> because we've seen that when they want to push something through uh congress they can um they, they can't push this stimulus bill through but they can push through a supreme court nominee they can right. push through what they want to push through when they want to push through it and uh, for, let's see here, 40 years, 41 years, this abortion thing has been the thing for the Republican Party. And with a, uh, a conservatively dominated Supreme Court for 49 of the past 50 years, uh, this whole thing coming into place from a conservative Republican president under Nixon, who, who, who allowed Roe versus Wade to come into play. But somehow they don't like to talk about that. And, uh, but they've had every means and every reason according to why they keep telling people to vote this way to see abortion abolished on a federal level but they have not stopped one abortion by telling people they need to vote this way to stop abortion they haven't stopped one abortion in over 41 years so um just as democrats pimp black people for votes oftentimes because that's been my mother's party and my grandmother's party um and, and many politicians know i don't have to work uh, uh once i'm in office you know, because I know they're going to vote me in because I'm Democrat. I think the same is true for Republicans. They know they don't have to work for the evangelical vote. But many evangelicals vote that way to appease their conscience and for their party to maintain power. It's it's the carrot that keeps them in the voting booth voting that way. But they're not going to make the change to that. Yeah, I, I, I come, I've become convinced that pro-lifeism, capitalism and patriotism have become gods themselves. Uh, come on, brother. To the point that, you know, the reason why I call them <laughs> gods is because if you really serve a God, you're willing to sacrifice everything to appease that God. Mm. And whether whether it's your own personal will, whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationships, 
to serve a God, you have to be willing to walk away from and to sacrifice all of those things. And we've seen it more than ever. We, people have even begun to sacrifice their own integrity and their own reputation in order yeah. to appease the God of pro-lifeism. And it, 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 it appeared to me and it occurred to me, and maybe you can speak on this, is that I think as humans, we value mortal life much more than God does. I don't think that God places as high a priority on mortal life as he places on obedience, as he places on integrity, and as he places on uh, honesty. And the reason why I say that is because we can see throughout the Bible where God took life, took mortal life because of disobedience or where he took a mortal life because of... Um, uh, of lying or dishonesty when we talk about Ananias and Sapphira. He took mortal life because of disobedience. And when I look at, and I, I believe that God is against abortion. I, I believe that. But I also believe that um, when God told, the, uh, told uh, Saul to go kill the Amalekites, he told him to kill them all. He said the children, the women, in a nation full of men and women, you can assure that some of those women were pregnant. I mean, that's a reasonable assumption that some of them are pregnant. And when he came back and had not uh, fulfilled the, the mandate of God to kill people, some of those people probably were what we would consider innocent lives. Some of them were children, which we would all by our own judgment and by our paradigms consider innocent. How can a God who uh, is so pro-life, pro-mortal life, I should say, so pro-mortal life, how could he advocate such an atrocity, one that would, in this environment, cause a lot of conservatives to vote against him? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, 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 I want to get into, especially if you have behind cliches and, and, you're, and you're, you love to parrot things that sound good, but you don't really do uh, discipline and Bible study and, and have contemplative religious thought. Um, you're right. There are many passages in scripture that will tr trouble us and they ought to, because I don't want to serve a God that I can fully figure out. The Bible says his ways and his thoughts are higher than my ways and my thoughts. There are just some things I'm not going to know, understand, or even appreciate and God is not going to ask my permission or for my cosign before he does something. You know, Job had to learn that the hard way because he didn't think that what he went through was fair and just. And he questioned God. It's one thing to ask questions, but he questioned God. And God had to appear to him in the whirlwind and rebuke him and say, man, where were you when I did thus, 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 and thus? You're just a mortal. I am God. And I have an understanding that you will never comprehend. And so that's where our faith has to enter in. Well, we just have to trust God that he's good. We have to trust God that he's loving. We have to trust God that he's a whole lot smarter than we are and not lean on our own understanding because that'll get us in trouble. Now, that doesn't mean we don't think, but I do think we have to be careful with systematic theology. Systematic theology has its place, but we have to be careful when we put God in boxes because God is going to always blow the box out. Because as you mentioned, there are passages in the Bible where God talks about taking the children of um, enemies and dashing them on the stone, on the stones, mm -hmm. killing children. Um, the passage I'm going to be preaching tomorrow deals with how Pharaoh, uh, Herod rather, um, killed the children in Bethlehem trying to kill the Christ child. You know, why didn't God stop that? Why did God allow that? And so on and on and on, there will be things that will never fit inside our nice little neat boxes of systematic theology or our partisanship, political, theological boxes. God will not always fit there. And so we got to leave room for God to be God, uh, and, and which may be why we may not need boxes to begin with. And we need to wrestle with these things in the faith that we read in the scripture that doesn't always line up or jive with us or what we think. But we have to step back and say, I trust him. Because as you mentioned, we're not living solely for this life. It's the next life, which is why Paul said to go and depart and be with Christ is far better than being here. And when I look at how Paul went out, like, why would God allow Paul to be beheaded 
in a Roman jail cell when we look at all that Paul has done for Christendom. Why would God let him go out like that? Well, why would God let his son, Jesus, go out like that? Because God somehow is able to interact with a fallen world and fallen people without overriding the effects of the fall. Like he, he's in it, but he also steps back and allows some of these things to take effect as we look forward to the new heaven, the new earth, you know? So, so our ancestors could suffer the way that they suffered unjustly because they knew about a sweet by and by. It's that world. And many of them got glimpses of that world where Paul would even say in Romans 8, 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to me. So it's that side, it's that world that can get me through the sufferings of this world. You know, I think it's, it's often easy to look at government and other entities and see some of the, I don't want to say wrongs, but just, I guess, holes or, or um, thorns in there. But going back to the church under reconstruction or under renovation, you know, I often see when we're looking at various evangelical leaders or ministers who are either um, promoting a say of prosperity or promoting fame. Um, I know recently, probably a couple of years ago, we had a pastor who wanted to get a private jet and became under scrutiny. Like, well, wait a minute, the church, if we're defining the church as the people, the people should be about the people. But here we've got someone asking for a huge amount of money in a area where, you know, the, the neighborhood is struggling to have a private jet. And I don't doubt that there is um, reasons for wanting to, I guess, have a lot of a lot of big house or fancy cars as a pastor, as a minister. But do you feel as if, you know, if we're talking about church and renovation, do you feel as if that kind of leadership hinders a lot of people from looking at the Christian faith because they see it as a means for their leaders to, to again become famous or to, to be to prosper and promote that kind of prosperity in their gospel. Yeah, it, it's absolutely a hindrance. Uh, when we look again how Jesus came, very humble, meek and lowly, um, and how he not only became a human, but also suffered like a criminal and how he had no place to lay his head on and on and on and on. And yet we don't want to follow Christ to that kind of extreme. Um, we, we, we feel like, man, we, we ought to have all the riches and we ought to be able to fly in a plane. As I heard this one pastor said, as you mentioned, uh, because they don't want to fly coach because they're trying to prepare their hearts to hear from God. So they're going to fly in a plane, their own plane. I'm like, wait a minute. Now you should be prepared to speak uh, before you get on the plane. Uh, but number two, a lot of other people are doing work on the plane. You're no better than them. God can speak to you on a plane and God may call you to stop preparing your message and talk to somebody that's lost on the plane. So all of it to me is just self-serving. Uh, but if we read our Bibles and we hold people accountable, we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that this thing about uh, riches and men of God is something that we need to be careful about. Over in 1 Timothy 3, he's like, uh, 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 one of the things that can disqualify a person for the pastorate or to be a bishop is if they're into filthy lucre or they have an obsession for money, a love of money. So he tells us, be careful of people who want to get into the ministry for financial gain. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't take care of your pastor and people do it differently because the Bible says if if the pastor is feeding you, then you feed him. You don't muzzle the ox that's treading out the fields. You, you feed the ox. But to pimp the ox out and diamonds and, you know, to get, get the ox laced and this and that, I think it's, a, a, it's an abuse. Now, I know from the, the slave church and from the early church in the, in the black community, we wanted to make sure the black pastor, the black preacher had because he was representing us many times in the community. Um, so we wanted to make sure his car was nice, that he could wear a nice suit. But again, that, that grew to taking advantage of the people's kindness. And I think the pastor has to say, no, 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 that's enough. You, or, or in other words, you set the culture in your church. Um, if you want all of that, then the people, you, you, you'll find people who will do all that. But if we're going to renovate the church, we got to get back to scripture and say, no, man. You know, because I, I know how it works. If the pastor's driving a nice car, people say, man, that car's too nice. We got to get, you know, he, he needs to drive a, a, you know, a beat up car. If he's driving a beat up car, man, that's an embarrassment. Pastor needs to drive a better car. So it's a balance in this stuff that we need to have. But the world looks at it 
and, and, and it doesn't pass the sniff test. When these ministers are making $30 million a year and on and on. I like how Rick Warren did it when he wrote his book, Purpose Driven uh, Life and Purpose Driven Church. The money he made, um, he lived off and he didn't collect a um, salary from the church. And also he was intentional to dispense that money to the work of missions because there was a lot of money that came in. So I think there's a way to handle it. But a pastor don't need no plane. Right. So with that, I mean, how, how do us as as parishioners in, in the congregation, how do we hold our leaders accountable? Because the alternative is people will stop going to church. And, you know, we don't want that to happen. But how do we ensure that, hey, when you come in, everyone is being held to whatever arm, leg, whatever body that you are of this church. And so that people don't come in thinking, oh, no, there is a hierarchy or no, we the, the pastor is preaching elsewhere or, or the pastor is supporting a certain president or, or the like and deters from further, you know, engaging in the church. So, yeah, so it gets back to my question, like, how do we, as we're under renovation, hold our leaders accountable so that new people, when they come in, they see a church focus on, like you said, the foundation and not on the bells and whistles that often deter people from coming to church? Well, what I see in scripture is that Christian leaders are people in authority and people under authority. Um, you know, Paul received the right hand of fellowship from the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, um, basically putting a stamp of approval on his ministry as he went out and did the missionary um, journey. So he's planting churches, establishing leaders, but he's under authority. So when I go into a church, I'm looking to see if that leader who has authority is under authority. So in my church, I am the first among equals. I am the senior pastor, but I have an elder team with me and they hold me accountable to how I live, to the things I speak, my doctrine. Um, if my wife isn't smiling, then, then I got brothers who will check me. Um, it, it, you know, and, and even when I had to at a time deal with the uh, administrative aspect of the church where I was people's pastor and boss, which is not always a good uh, combination. So thank God nowadays I'm just a pastor. I have another man who's the executive over those who are on staff. But even during that time, you have to be careful with how you talk to people. So when the staff is being given um, job um, analysis, end of the year reviews, I would also get one. So, so it wasn't that it was just them, but it was also me. So I can't preach something to people that I don't allow to be preached to me as well. So when you walk into a church and you see that, you sense that kind of um, accountability, then to me, that's a healthy place, a safe place to be in. But if a guy has or, or a lady has unchecked authority, that's going to be dangerous. You know, because again, God, Jesus sent them disciples out two by two for a reason. We need accountability. We need encouragement. Um, and even what's been going on with this Hillsong pastor as of late, um, I appreciate how the, the, the governing body of that particular church and denomination have handled it on the back end. But it just makes me wonder, what did they miss going along for him to have this kind of behavior going on for months and probably even years of unfaithfulness to his God, to his family, to his wife? Um, what, what measures were not in place where he could get up and preach every week, but he's visiting a woman in a park also twice and, 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 and getting drunk on alcohol. Like, well, where's the, where was the disconnect before it moved to this spot? And that's where I think when we talk about being under renovation, what kind of conversations are, are the leaders in these churches really having with their leaders? But if they're set up there alone, oh my gosh, it's just a matter of time. Because no person can handle that kind of power. Um, it, it's a Messiah complex, and only the Messiah can handle that kind of power. A man or a woman with exclusive power cannot handle it. And let's be honest, we're, we're often looking for them to fail to some degree. We're looking for them to misstep, to say, oh, well, then if you did it, it's okay for me to do it. And, and True. like you're saying, I mean, with, the, with that, the Hillside pastor, we know it was going on for a while, but we also know this is a big figure. He was, you know, was endorsed by Justin Bieber. So it's kind of one of those mm -hmm. things where, uh, yeah, at the time that it became this big public thing is because he put out some kind of Facebook post or whatnot. But I'm sure a lot yeah. of people knew what was going on 
well before it became public um, sure. social media. And so how many Christians or parishioners left the church because they saw this and it was not being addressed? Yeah. Leaving the church is one thing, but leaving Jesus is another. So I hope that those people that left the church found another church. And again, they would go, would go in with a different kind of checklist, knowing that no church is perfect, but looking to make sure certain parameters are in place to keep leaders accountable. Um, so hopefully they, they found other churches. Or maybe some are going to stay there in hopes that, you know, they can renovate and bring in another leader or promote a leader from within. Um, but yeah, there are people who want to see that fall because it takes the pressure off them to say, oh, well, I don't need to straighten up my life. But I guarantee you, though, there are churches where people know that the pastor's messing with boys, the pastor's messing with ladies and all of that, because the spirit of compromise also attracts people who want to compromise. Come in, I'm, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and there was a church in my hometown where everybody knew the pastor had a side piece. <laughs> he had a woman on the side. He had a child with that woman and everybody knew it. And so if you're living a life where you're jumping around from bed to bed, that's who you want to be your pastor. Cause you say, he's real. He's real. Okay. Yeah, he's real. But there's a standard that he and God's children are to aspire towards. And that's holiness and godliness and purity. And, uh, but, but not an acceptable where you turn Greece and in, grace into Greece. You just want to slide by and use mercy to justify your messes. Like, no, that, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. We have a viewer who makes a comment. He says, Jesus came as a role model. He washed the disciples' feet, even Jesus, I mean, even Judas. Uh, can we ask the pastor to humble himself and look for humility in that pastor's life? And, and, and I guess that's one key thing is that we have to also realize where is the level of humility? How do you, how do you discern or judge humility in a pastor and and when we start seeing that seep out of and no longer represent his or her uh demeanors or character uh when at what point do we then intervene and i guess uh you have other you have to have appointed leadership i guess who would be the ones who intervene in that regard yes you know the bible talks about um if, if a pastor a bishop an elder sends you should have two or three witnesses who can verify that what was done was sin, not, you know, preference. You know, I, I don't prefer that he drive that kind of car or whatever, whatever. But we're talking about sin. Now, if he stole to get that car, then again, we're, we're dealing with sin. So you need two or three witnesses to establish this matter. And you go to that pastor. And if that pastor does not receive the correction, then you move on from that pastor. You fire that pastor. You let that pastor go. So in other words, pastors are to be under um, stricter judgment, James chapter three, and we're to be held accountable. In other words, we can lose our jobs. If, if we can do church discipline on wayward members, then the church can do church discipline on a wayward pastor. But rarely do you ever hear about that going down. Um, they're excused. And again, the standard of holiness is lowered in that church when there's a double standard for the people and the pastor, a different standard. Um, but back to the, the serving piece, yeah, man, you know, a, a pastor should be a servant leader. You know, we, we should be in the trenches. We, we should know um, how to get in and get our hands dirty. I mean, shepherds got dirty because they dealt with dirty sheep. You know, they smelled like dung because they were among the sheep. And God encourages us in First Peter 5, man, be among the sheep. You just can't be above the sheep, be among the sheep. And to be among people making disciples, man, that, that's serving. That, and you may have to wash some feet, literally. You may have to change a bedpan, you know. I know we can't get into hospitals now, but I've been in places where, man, you know, you, you've had to assist lifting a body up off of a gurney. And you, you do what you need to do because, again, you want to be like Christ. You want to serve. So uh, along this church renovation, one of the things that uh, we hear frequently, particularly in this charged political environment, is that it seems like the church is divided. I'm, um, I, I actually preached a sermon once and said, uh, you might be Christian, but you are not the church. I do think that there may be a difference between being a Christian and being a part of the church that Jesus himself mm -hmm. said, the one that I'm coming back for. And so in this time, we see a lot of division amongst 
those who call themselves Christians. Is that concerning to you or is that just fulfillment of prophecy? I think it's fulfillment of prophecy. You know, Jesus said that uh, this gospel is going to split homes. Mm. You know, that when you pick up your cross and follow me, I'm going to set mother against child and, you know, brother against sister. So, so the, the, the gospel, our commitment to Jesus is going to bring division. And I think we're seeing that right now um, as people are trying to interpret what what is right, fair and just. But in my opinion, in many respects, it doesn't fall in line with the things that Jesus valued. So I don't mind breaking fellowship with so-called brothers over things that to me are essential matters. For instance, you know, we just had um, another um, death by lethal injection uh, imposed by the state on uh, this African-American brother. I can't remember his name, but over 20 years ago, he was part of a murder of a couple who was coming home from church. And I'm sure you guys know the story better than I do. And, uh, and so this brother was put to death just a couple of days ago. And my issue is with many Christians who claim to be pro-life, how can you be pro-life and pro-death penalty? Um, I, I don't, to, to me, it doesn't comprehend. That's more of a political thing. And when we look at the numbers in terms of how it disproportionately affects the black community, as far as those who are put to death, given the death penalty. And when you look at how uh, much evidence comes out to prove that people are innocent on death row or once they have been killed, to me, it's something that ought to be abolished. But you have Christians who on one hand, they're saying, we got to fight for babies in the womb, but they have no problem pulling the switch to kill people who may or may not be uh, guilty. And if they are, and you think they deserve to die, why do you think you deserve the right to kill them? So, so to me, there are just some disconnects. So I don't mind dividing over life issues. Um, I definitely don't mind dividing over essential doctrinal issues. And again, so much in this country is laced on race um, because the, the church has never really confessed that sin. The white church has never really confessed that sin to the point of producing fruit in keeping with repentance. An apology, man, doesn't mean anything if I don't see a change. And I still don't see a change. When I hear about people talking about secession um, over this situation with the, with the uh, President Trump and, and, and white conservative Christians don't rebuke people for those things, it just means you agree with those things. Your silence is your complicitness in that. And it's just sad that even after the Civil War 150 years ago, that if this country got into another civil war today, it would be over the same issues that we went through back then, the issue of race and the treatment or the mistreatment of black people. And so, yeah, I'll divide with you over that. Jesus divides sheep and goats. So I'm cool. Yeah. He, he says, you know, I, I want to say it's in, ooh, it's in Thess Thessalonians where he talks about, uh, well, there would be a falling away at some point or another. Mm -hmm. People will fall uh, victim to the deceiver. And at mm -hmm. some point or another, there's a delusion. The guy said, I'll send them sure. strong delusion because yeah. they rejected the truth. And I think That's we're right. starting to see where you look at people with certain beliefs and you just can't convince them otherwise. And you say, how is it that you can't see this? And I guess I, I look at it. Well, how, why is it that Pharaoh would have would have continued after plague after plague after plague to still oppress the people? Mm -hmm. Even after the final plague, he uh, decided to let them go. He had a change of heart again and said, well, let's go and pursue them. And it resulted in, in the demise of his army as well. Uh, and I think it's just the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right. And and um, when Judas betrayed Jesus, it said God sent an evil spirit to uh, on Jude on Judah. Uh, oh, the, Judas. The, the devil entered him. Yes, he Bible entered. The him. devil entered and, him. And so these were things that that God has allowed to happen, specifically to accomplish, um, I guess, to fulfill His will. And so. I think we do have a, a period of time now where people are just going to not be convinced of that. And when they come to teach a different doctrine, Jesus said, have no part with them. Mm -hmm. Don't even wish them Godspeed. Otherwise right. you become a partaker of their iniquities. Mm -hmm. And so I think 
we as a church maybe we do have to get used to saying goodbye to some of those people who along yeah. doctrinal issues and along uh spiritual matters just refuse to come into alignment with what was the the mandate of Christ one of the old members of my church used to say that there's about 25% of professing Christians who's really Christian and he took that off of the parable of the seed and the sower that when Jesus went out talking about there was a sower who planted seed and fell on this ground and that ground, only one of the four soils actually produced fruit. And so for him, he's saying that it's a quarter. It's a remnant of people who are truly believers. And when you look at when Jesus said the road that leads to heaven is straight and narrow and only a few are on it, whereas the road that leads to destruction is wide and many are on it. The only issue is we just don't know who those people are which is why we need to wait for a judgment where Jesus will separate the wheat from the tear. So, so we need to examine ourselves, Paul said, to make sure that we are in the faith. And man, as we keep our hearts soft before the Lord and we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you know, it's one of those things when God speaks, you've got to obey. But when you harden your heart, as you were mentioning, it puts you in a dangerous place. And uh, man, I, I, I don't want to be a part of that group where you harden your heart towards God and God hardens your heart. And, now, I want to keep a soft heart, a sensitive heart, um, a, a, a short record of wrongs, you know, man, hey. But, but, but again, the Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There has to be a reverence for God where we take him seriously. And again, not try to use his grace as grease or justification to just live raggedy and be raggedy. It's like, no, man, the spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead is alive in me. Man, when me and my wife are out of sorts, me and God are off. And God is like, Negro, go back to her and get that right. Humble yourself. You want grace? Humble yourself. You know, oh, man. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that, that it's becoming real to me. The scripture that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because as convinced as I am about my position and where I am, there are people on the other side of where I am uh, that are equally convinced. And how does one really know that they're really following the truth and the mandate of God? When you see such stark division in people who are so staunchly committed to what their convictions are, what's, yeah. what's the, what's the, in our closing, what's the encouragement that you can give us so that we know that we're on the right path? Well, the good thing is that God knows how to discipline his kids, including me. Um, I, I, I can pray for people. I can love people, but it's not up to me. So I, I'm, I'm okay to, to agree to disagree with people who profess to be believers. And I can go on in peace knowing that, again, they don't have to answer to me. They're going to answer to God ultimately. So I try not to let people that I disagree with in the midst of trying to see renovation in the church, you know, get me off. I'm trying to stay focused, as you mentioned, working out my salvation, doing what God's called me to do, um, and trying to love well as much as I can through the health and strength of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean being somebody's doormat either. And sometimes it may mean rebuking people or as Jesus said, man, shake the dust off and move on. You know, rich young ruler walked off and Jesus didn't chase him. Sometimes you just got to realize, man, just keep it moving. You know, Paul said about Demas, that brother has forsaken me because he, he loved the world. And Paul didn't go fishing for that brother. You know, he, he just said, hey, look, man, this is what happened. And you just got to stay focused on the assignment. You got to keep your hands to the plow and not look to the right or the left, stay focused. So my encouragement today is, man, have your own relationship with God. Uh, you know, again, examine yourself. And, uh, you know, because the Bible says his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And like Nicole Mullen sings in Redeemer, um, I spoke to the Lord this morning. I know him for myself. So, so it's not about religion and church. It's about, man, knowing God for yourself. Do you know his voice? Do you know his touch? My God. And, and once you know that you know, can't nobody persuade you otherwise. I don't care what cult knocks on your door. I don't care what problem or trouble you go through in life. You know he's holding on to you when you can't even hold on to him. Oh, come on, Mark. Oh, Lord. Come, on, come on, brother. Come on, brother. <laughs> if I had an organ right now. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> 
that, that's, that's all that would be. <laughs> yes. I saw God's light in you many years ago. I came to, to, to get an ear, nose, and throat checkup, man. You know, yes, you were the guy. And, and that, that same smile I see now is what, is what I saw back then. And uh, I just want to tell you, thank you for all that you do for the kingdom of God, not only the excellence that you're giving forth in the world of medicine, but also uh, through your music, musical ministry, and now even through this podcast, man. Just as I was listening to you talk about what was going on with the vaccine, I was just so thankful and proud to hear um, a learned uh, black man just rattle off these truths, even in a condition where you're not feeling too great. But man, it came out of you and it just it just made my heart glad. I just said, Lord, thank you that this brother's right where he needs to be. You've gifted him and equipped him. Thank you, man. I pray that you would know your labor is not in vain, brother. Amen. Likewise, my brother. I, I'm so grateful also to see you taking a proactive and, and a vociferous role and speaking out uh, as a man of God, as a pastor, and not fearing the consequences that man would impose on you uh, and trying to ostracize you for speaking to and against political powers. And mm. so I certainly appreciate that because that Thanks, there's, a, there's a heavy mandate on your life, I believe, to be able to, to speak to those powers and, and, and bring them to repentance. And I'm sure our audience appreciates this bromance that is going on right now. Oh, <laughs> come on, We love you too, Sonia. We love you hey, too. Hey, people need to see black men affirming each other. Yeah, hey, mate, we love to see it. <laughs> well, thank well, you again so much, Pastor Chris, for joining us. Um, for all of our listeners, please like, comment, and share. Also, feel free. I'm sure we'll have his information if you want to reach out and get more about that renovation of the church, as well as ensuring that your own self is renovated as you go through this pandemic and take that time for stillness to be more reflective in your relationship with God. So tune in on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time to the Roundtable Consult. Once again, thank you for joining us and we will see you then. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. We invite you to join us twice weekly on Facebook Live, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, and again on Saturday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern. That's facebook.com forward slash Roundtable Consult with your hosts, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams.